Thanks, Dan, and good morning, church. My name's Dave, and it's great to be with you today. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad was in the Air Force, and one year, right in the middle of his career, he was sent to an officer's training school. And as a part of this school, he was with a bunch of people, an entire class that moved through together, and apparently they got pretty close to one another, and so decided to throw a New Year's Eve party, all of them together. But that year, our family was traveling over the holidays, and we were coming home after Christmas. We weren't scheduled to arrive until late in the afternoon on New Year's Eve. And given the fact that my parents weren't real big New Year's Eve party people anyway, they decided to take a pass on the party. Well, apparently their friends did not like this decision. And so that night on New Year's Eve, at one in the morning, a bunch of the guys quietly climbed up onto our roof and then, when one of them gave the signal, they all together started stomping. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but apparently this is a military thing. It's called roof stomping, and it's designed to wake people up in the middle of the night and let them know that they should not have skipped out on the party, because now, not only will they be attending the party, they will also be hosting the party. This actually happened. I was in the fifth grade, and the memory is burned on my brain. Thunderous stomping in the middle of the night sounded like an earthquake, like our house was going to cave in, and then hordes of people coming into our home and partying until the wee hours of the morning. Now, just to be fair, my mother would want me to say this was something that did not usually happen in my childhood. That's why it's such a vivid memory. It's a great party story. And we all have a party story of some kind. A story about a great party we attended, or one that we threw, a story about a party that was maybe a surprise, or a story about a party where something really crazy went down. And today, believe it or not, our scripture passage is none other than an amazing party story. It's the story of a party where something really crazy went down because of who showed up. Daniel chapter 5. If you have a Bible, pull it out. We're going to start right away in verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles or lords. And by the way, these are the Sith lords. This is the dark side of the force. And drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So here's the deal. We're, we're back in Babylon this week. It's been 65 years since they overthrew the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, and Daniel and his friends were taken back as prisoners of war to the city of Babylon. And, and right away here in chapter 5, we learned that Suddenly, there's a new king. For the first four chapters, it's been King Nebuchadnezzar. But now, all of a sudden, it's a guy named Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar is referred to as his father. But in the ancient world, this term was used fairly loosely to refer to any of your ancestors. So technically, this is probably uh, his grandfather. Nebuchadnezzar would have been Belshazzar's grandfather. 
At any rate, this new young king throws a party and the author tells us some things so that we know exactly what kind of party this is. First of all, it's a big party. A thousand nobles and their plus ones. A lot of people are coming to this event. Second, it's a drinking party. Five times in just four verses, the verb for drinking is used over and over and over again. They were drinking, they were drinking, they were drinking. This is a frat party. The alcohol is flowing. I'm sure there were games with ping pong balls being played somewhere in the hall. It's also a party where wives and concubines are present. This is mentioned a few times. This was not a common occurrence in the ancient world. Women were not mixed with men during parties where alcohol was flowing. And some of these women would have been captured in war. In our day, we would call them slaves or even trafficking victims. But in these opening verses, we get a very clear picture that this is going to be a naughty night, a night filled with sinful, sensual pleasure. Okay, you say, so they're having a party, pagans partying like pagans, what's the big deal? Well, two things. This party first is thrown during a time of great distress. The Medo-Persian army has just defeated the Babylonian army and they are perched just miles outside of the city. So as this party happens, as all of this is going down, there is great fear. There is anxiousness running through the people. In fact, there's huge concern that maybe just maybe death is right around the corner for all of them. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing we need to notice about this party. During it, Belshazzar calls for the gold and silver goblets that were plundered from the temple in in Jerusalem to be brought so that he and all of his lady friends can drink from them and in essence, mock the God of Israel. Friends, this is Belshazzar's way of saying, God, he's nothing. I don't bow to him, I don't yield to him, I don't respect him, and nothing, not even the threat of death, will cause me to bend my knee. This is arrogance in its highest form. Verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Friends, what we read in this section of the story is that God crashes this party and he does what the Medo-Persians couldn't do. What they couldn't do with an entire army, God does by himself in a moment. Because just at the sight of this miraculous hand drawing on a wall makes Belshazzar crumble. And all of his fears and all of his doubts and all of his insecurities come pouring out for everyone, the entire crowd to see. Friends, time and time and time again throughout scripture and in my life and in yours, this is what God does. In one way or another, he crashes in on our self-confidence in order to show us just how frail we are, in order to show us the frailty of our situation. And the question becomes, in this moment of fear and insecurity, in this moment when when Belshazzar realizes that he is not as in control of his life as he thought he was, where will he turn? And that's a good question for you and me as well. 
Friends, where do you turn when your world starts to crumble? Where do you go when stress or fear or uncertainty start to crop into your life? What makes you feel safe when life starts to feel shaky? Well, Belshazzar, who represents the most stubborn of us, turns to the wisdom of the world, to the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. They're called the wise men of Babylon. I do not know how they got this name. They never seem to get anything right, but that's where he goes. Verse 8, then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. Friends, can I tell you this? At some point, the world will not have answers for you. At some point in your life, you are going to face something. You're going to come across something. You're going to stand before something that logic, reason, medicine, science will not be able to fix. At some point in your life, there will only be God. And and it's right here, right in verse 9, that we're told the queen shows up with just this advice. You see, the queen would not have been Belshazzar's wife. She was already, we've been told, at the party. This is the queen mother. This is Nebuchadnezzar's wife. This is Belshazzar's grandmother. And when she shows up on the scene, she recognizes in her grandson what she once saw in her husband, despair and utter desperation. And so she says to him, she says to this young king, don't be afraid. I know a guy. I know a guy who knows a God. And not just an earthly God, not just a God of gold or silver or stones or iron or wood, but a God who acts in power, a God who reveals truth. I know a guy. Verse 14. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king and the king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles, my father, the king, brought from Judah? Pause right here for just a minute. Notice this question. Don't let it it just run past. Are you Daniel? Are you Daniel? Friends, I thought Daniel was famous. I thought Daniel had interpreted dreams. I thought Daniel had been promoted. I thought Daniel was a big deal. But here we are in chapter five, right in the middle of this book, and the king doesn't even know his name or recognize his face. Here's the point. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think that to walk intimately or faithfully with God means that we will go from one spiritual high to another, just over and over and over again, from battles to miracles to dreams to furnaces to giants to lion's dens. But in this story, Daniel is now about 80 years old. And what I want you to see is this. Most of Daniel's life doesn't make the movie real. There are many, many years, decades in fact, where all he does is get up, make breakfast, brush his teeth, go to work, come home, hang out with some buddies for some fellowship, go to bed and get up so he can do it all over again. Friends, most of Daniel's life has just been spent in quiet, faithful, mundane, normal, consistent service to his God. It's not thrill, it's not adventure. But here he is, once again, 
facing another big moment. His years of quiet faithfulness have prepared him for public faithfulness. And now he comes hobbling in, gray hair or a bald head, probably a big long beard and his cane. The king says, verse 16, Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. A promotion is available to you again, Daniel. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Then in verses 18 through 21, Daniel reminds Belshazzar of some things. He reminds him that all the power he's inherited, all the wealth and privilege his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had, was not of his own doing. It was not because he was so special or anointed or that he earned it. It was because of one thing and one thing only. God gave it to him. And Daniel reminds Belshazzar of the journey Nebuchadnezzar went on and that he only found peace when he finally decided to humble himself before the Lord God of heaven and earth. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Your grandfather humbled himself. Your grandfather went from arrogance to humility. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, Though you knew all this, you knew better. You watched your grandfather go through this, Daniel says. You heard the stories about his arrogance and pride leading him astray. You had a front row seat for his conversion when he humbled himself before the living God. You knew what was right, and yet you decided to go your own way. When I was a, a kid... And I would sometimes do something that I knew was wrong. Very rarely, I would say. Very rarely. Uh, My parents used to say, you had to learn the hard way. You had to learn the hard way. You couldn't just listen. You couldn't just learn from others. You couldn't just take our, our thoughts or advice. You had to learn the hard way. You had to do it for yourself and face the consequences. And that's essentially what Daniel says to Belshazzar here. You had to learn the hard way. You couldn't just learn from your grandfather's mistakes and his life. You had to make the same mistakes yourself. Friends, let me ask you this morning. Is there any place in your life where you are on a you-knew-better path? Is there any place in your life where you're on a you-know-better path? Where Where you're dabbling in something that you know is not right. Where you're taking a posture or an attitude that simply does not align with God's heart. Where you're compromising just enough, maybe just a little. And even though it isn't a big deal right now, at some point you know it's going to lead you and your life down a path that you don't want to go. Maybe maybe Daniel's message for Belshazzar is a message for you today. You know better. Don't learn the hard way. Get back on the road the Lord wants you on. Verse 22. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set up 
yourself against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. If you were here a few weeks ago when Pastor Nick preached on chapter four, you'll know that in that story, we saw an arrogant king humble himself before God and then God restores him. But in this story, we see the opposite. In this story, we see what happens when an arrogant king thumbs his nose at God and digs his heels in on his pride. Verse 25, Daniel's words. This is the inscription that was written, main, main, tequil, parsin. Here is what these words mean. Main, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tequil, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, which is the singular form of, of Parsin, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Friends, I, I want to close our time together today talking about this, this three-word message that God sends Belshazzar, because I believe it's a message for you and me as well. In this message, God writes three words, then they each challenge us. They challenge some illusions that, that Belshazzar had and some illusions that I believe you and I can fall into as well. Here we go. The first word is main. Main, main. It's a word that means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You see, Belshazzar lives with this illusion that his life is his own. My life belongs to me. I can do whatever I want with it. I am responsible to no one. Some of us have that kind of attitude sometimes. Our world promotes that kind of an attitude. But God says, no, Belshazzar, I have given you your life. You are where you are because I created you. I gifted you. I appointed you to do work for me on the earth in the little time that you have here. Friends, what Belshazzar can't see but I pray that we will, is that our lives are not our own and we are not meant to fritter away our days in pursuit of personal gain and pleasure, but we are called to do the very work of God because our life is from him. Because as much as Belshazzar defames these, these sacred vessels, they were not the most important vessels he was defaming. The most important thing Belshazzar Cesar defames is his life. It's his soul. Because that's what God had given him to steward, and that's what he's given you as well. Then there's the second word, tequila. It means weighed. You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And there's an illusion here as well. The illusion is, is that I can get away with wasting my life or doing wrong in my life as long as no one notices. As long as the thing just kind of moves past and no one sees it, then it's not a big deal. But here's what we're told in this story. God sees it. God sees it. And he says to Belshazzar, I have taken your life to see how much weight it has. If you think you've gotten away with defying my authority and oppressing my people and just living for pleasure and party and, and privilege, if you think you've gotten away with all that, think again, because to whom much is given, much is expected. Friends, let me ask you today, how is your life weighing out? 
based on what you've been given, based on what God has given to you, your talents, your abilities, your position, you're standing before him as a saved and redeemed follower of Jesus Christ. Are you stewarding those things for God and his kingdom in this world? Or like Belshazzar, are you simply living for yourself? And then our third and final word, Perez, broken. Your kingdom is broken or divided and taken away from you. Again, Belshazzar lived with an illusion that a lot of us have. My life will go on the way I want it to go on for a long time. I mean, I might know that there are some things in my life, my character, that need fixing, but there's plenty of time to do the right thing. There's plenty of time to get things right. There's plenty of time to shift away from just living for myself or for pleasure or for just doing things that indulge, indulge the flesh. But here's what God says to Belshazzar, and it's this. We don't know how much time we have. In fact, Belshazzar's time is up. In this story, he waited too long. Friends, let me say this to you today. None of us know what the future holds. None of us are guaranteed one more day. So don't put off embracing and pursuing and living the life God longs for you to live with him right now. For some of you, that means not waiting or delaying or putting off any longer with a false sense that you have plenty of time, your relationship with the Lord. If you are not right with God, do not let one more day go past. Do not wait one more day. Do not be fooled into thinking, I've got plenty of time to make my life right with him. If you're not right with God, Receive the grace he has for you by faith, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection for you, that you might be redeemed and restored and reconciled to the Lord God of heaven and earth. Don't put that off. But if you're a follower of Jesus, let me just ask you this as we close. Do you have any unfinished business? Is there anything you really need to take care of? Some of you have somebody you need to forgive or forgiveness that you need to ask for. Get on it. Some of you need to change patterns in your parenting or, or in, the, in the way you are relating to a spouse or a friend or a parent. Don't put it off. Some of you need to finally get serious about addressing a sinful habit that's taking control of your, in your life address it, take it seriously, talk to a trusted Christian brother or sister about it. Quit waiting. Some of you, God has been calling you to give or to serve in a sacrificial, radical, and generous way, and you've been resisting that. You've been putting it off for whatever reason. Don't put it off any longer. It is time. The time is now, we learn from Daniel in this chapter. The time is now to say yes. The time is now to dive into the life that God wants you to live. Today is the day. The message of Daniel chapter five is do not wait. Give your life to God in full devotion to him. You will never regret it. Amen.